Hey, I'm James Joseph from James and the Cold Gun. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Feed that algorithm. You're listening to The State of Love and Trust. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, we're recording in a rare morning, and we'll get to why that is in a moment, but I have to ask you, how was your Thanksgiving, sir? It was delightful and delectable. Wonderful feast, courtesy of my wonderful wife. Uh, Very grateful for that, and... uh, a plethora of other things, which I won't bore our listeners with, but uh, it was good. How was yours? Uh, it, it was good. Um, we uh, we had a smaller crew than usual. Usually, usually there's like maybe twelve people or so. Today, uh, today, uh, this past Thursday, there was only uh, maybe seven or eight, but there was way more food than necessary, and uh, we were able to kind of um, give it away just to to friends as they came over in the last couple of days. So it was nice. Nice. Before we get to our guest, I want to say uh, thank you to all of our listeners, new, old. Um, if you're a Patreon member, then super kudos to you. We hope you guys are doing well here in the uh, tail end of 2023. We've been, as I told, how, who did I speak to? Oh, we told Jeremy Toback that he was in the middle of Murderer's Row of, of interviews here at the end of 2023. And uh, our guest today is no exception. He fits right in there. I'm stoked to welcome to the show the front man, the founder, the lead singer and guitarist of South Wales's loudest fucking band, James and the Cold Gun. It's James Joseph. How's it going, man? Hello. How's it going? It's it's going great. I'd love to be introduced like that more often, actually. <laughs> you can just clip that out and then just My ship head's it. just going, going massive. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. How are you guys? We're doing well. You know, I just literally labeled things, you know? It's just, that is what you are. We, we call it like we see it, James. We call it like we see it. Yeah. It's uh, it's still quite a, a new feeling, all this to me. Obviously, I, I played bass in a band before, and I was very much used to being the, uh, the unappreciated member of the band for, for Listen, some years. Nikki Six is the bass player, in Motley Crue, and that guy is basically the leader. So just just live in that world, feel that energy. True. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So let's just kind of dive right in here. I've got so many questions. You know. You have said that James and the Cold Gun is the band you've wanted to be in since you were 15, but, quote, never really had the guts to do. So let's talk about the journey to the creation of this band. I want to know, we're going to go back to to young James here. Who influenced you as a musician growing up? Like, what records did you listen to? Who were the guitar gods or the singers? Do you have posters on your wall? That kind of thing. Oh, that is a that's a that's a big one. Um, so I think for me the the biggest one, um, and it's it's not the coolest. It's not the coolest one to uh, to admit to. But the, the big one for me growing up was Green Day, just because like that was the, the very entry level. I suppose for my age for my age group, that was the thing that was on the TV that was sort of. That was that was the most punk rock thing that was on TV, you know. On we had we had the 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 um the channel Kerrang, which is like, mm. you know, like like the equivalent of MTV over 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 there. And um, so I think I think uh, it was like it was like Green Day's Dookie um that really kind of first spoke to me. I think in terms of uh, music that I felt like belonged to me and like I could relate to. Um, but then. Another thing that really, really shaped my music taste was actually um, the Tony Hawk's uh, skateboarding games. The soundtracks of those. Oh yeah, They're, those those soundtracks were amazing. They were full of um, full of like cool punk bands and metal things, and even hip hop, which I love. Um, and I, I I remember sort of singing all these songs without knowing much about the artists, and then sort of slowly in my own time finding finding out about you know punk rock and and the you know they're they're like um the web of like which which people are in which bands and mm-hmm. which scenes uh, you know i i i go crazy for all the sort of background lore of like stuff like the punk scene or hip hop or you know i think i think that's why um that's also why i'm like really into into like the seattle scene because i i just love nerding out on on who did what and who was in which band mm. you know i got to be honest with you james uh green day is cool 
Okay, cool. Green Day is very cool. I, I, I saw a clip recently um, online, and it was a high school footage of them playing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, know, I, know, I know the footage. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's, and, and you're watching this, and you, you're just mesmerized by it because it's, it's, it's Green Day, you know what I mean? And you're watching them as they're these uh, like young ingenues just kind of coming up. And so like, in, your, in, in your head, you're thinking, these people have no idea what they're listening to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love, I love footage like that. But yeah, I didn't really have, um, I didn't really have like one sort of hero, so to speak. I think it was more just the idea that people would get together and form bands and, mm. and play their own music. That was like magic to me. I remember going to like um, my very first local gig and um, there was some young people my age um, in bands. I, I wasn't in bands until a little bit later on. Um, this was probably when I was about like 14, 15, 16. No, but yeah, about, about 14, 14 years old. Um, and I went to, they, they held these gigs in, in like a, like a rugby club over here, which was like a, yeah, just just like um, I d- I don't know if you like have the same thing over there, but like it's it's just like a clubhouse where they also it kind of serves as like a multi-purpose oh, yeah, space, like I guess, for the community community center kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, community yeah, yeah. center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I saw these kids who were from like the school over the way from from where I was from, and and they were they were ripping through like loads of the stuff that I'd seen on MTV and Kerrang at the time. They were mm-hmm. they were playing like covers of Green Day and covers of like. I remember they did a cover of like um Velvet Revolver and like they did like a cover of like the White Stripes and I was like whoa like these guys are playing songs from the TV like <laughs> how 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 have they done that like I want to and and from that day on I was like obsessed with wanting to form my own band you know learn learn to play guitar and uh Was the guitar the first was the first instrument for you? Yeah well um it was, but I'm, I still say that I'm learning to this day. Like I, I, um, I never really formally like learned, like there's some things that like, like I'm learning like basic chords now. And, and I'm like, I've just finished recording my second album in my second oh, we'll get to like, that, full-time baby. band. <laughs> but, um, I I've had a guitar since like, yeah, since about 14 or 15. And I've always kind of just plunked around on it in my spare time. And, um, well, yeah, that's 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 it really. Well, when you started James and the Cold Gun, you did so at the tail end of 2019, mm-hmm. which uh, I think uh, everyone listening would agree was a, a bit of a challenging and interesting time to start a band because a few months later we would have a, a global pandemic hit. So I'm kind of curious, and obviously it did give you time to work on that craft, right? Give you time to practice and all that. But how did you and um, your your guitarist? Your buddy James Biss. How did you guys cope with all that time? Well, it was. Um, I got to be honest. There was an initial, and it sounds terrible to admit this, but there was a there was a tiny bit of like excitement in the sense that it was like, whoa, like what what's going on in the world right now? It was it was almost like liberating in a sense that like a lot of the the sort of menial stuff that or like trivial stuff that like stresses you out from day to day that stuff felt way less important than, than, than ever before. And it felt, I think in the same way, like people who led like crazy busy, like nine to five, like office kind of lives, they finally had the time in the week to like go walk in and spend some time out in nature and stuff. Like it was that. So, so initially it was liberating. And for me, um, the, the biggest thing without trying to cover too much ground with this answer, I, I was in, my previous band at this point and um that band was going kind of well and i knew that we were kind of getting to that sort of full-time band stage where like we had the next year of touring planned out um until until covid hit and um i realized that with that band without the touring which was the thing i loved to do and, and the live shows without that I wasn't actually as into my old band as maybe the idea of starting a new band with James B. So um, to fill some of the time when we were, there was, there was about like a, there was like a three or four month period where we, we actually just couldn't work. They, I, I think you guys had it in the, in America. I forget what the payments were called, but it was like a state kind of like, there was some sort of like, um, they gave you money to live for a little bit just because you fully couldn't even mm-hmm do anything um so we had that for a couple of months uh over here too and um when when that happened me and me and james b decided we would just jam in his garage um 
just just for fun like we 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 didn't really we weren't planning to do anything um we started we started jamming and we had so much fun again just just the two of us just playing through like terrible nirvana covers and <laughs> you know queens of the stone age and what, whatever else and um it was the most fun either of us had had like since starting music back when we were like 15 and um i think that was the sort of um yeah that was the point where we realized maybe we should maybe we should follow this a little bit more like this feels good what about that was fun that wasn't fun in the previous band i think the previous band and and it's partly my fault as well but like the previous band had become very much like career driven and and um there was an element of like i think like constantly thinking about the next step and like the next like like the best example is uh, my old band played um played a really prestigious festival in the uk called download festival mm, yeah, yeah. and and you know it was like a it's like a huge deal for us at the time we were like and and in my mind it was like oh i'm gonna be so happy when i play this one show you know that 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 i'm gonna get all my happiness from that performance and you play it and you feel like good for like 20 minutes after and then you see that there's a bigger stage like in the other end of the field and you're like oh well next year we're gonna go to that and it becomes this kind of weird like vicious cycle of like um kind of just constantly wanting the next best thing rather than kind of just taking stock of where you're at and appreciating the it's it's really cheesy but it's like appreciating the journey rather than the uh yeah rather than the result i guess uh i, be, I believe steven tyler once saying life's a journey not a destination <laughs> there we go so we go. he he got to it first <laughs> <laughs> you said that when you complete a song you just want to let people hear it immediately right mm-hmm. so that you don't have to go back and pick it apart oh uh, for sure i don't think that's an uncommon feeling amongst creative people at all i think it's very common um but at some point you have to say okay this song is done you yeah. call, say this song this song is complete how do you know when a song is done how many like how many overdubs is just too many Oh, you're asking the wrong, you're asking the wrong person. I am, I'm a, I'm a total, uh, I'm a total shit for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> well then who, I who, mean, who's, who's corralling you then? I guess that part is part of your answer. Um, I think me and me and James B have a really special, uh, working relationship where like we realize now that we trust each other enough to know if he's not feeling something, but I think it's great. Then I'll tell him and he can, he can settle on it and hit save and that's it. And if I'm spending too long on something and he thought the take, you know, five takes ago was good. Um, and yeah, there, there, there's, there's, there's that trust that comes into play. We, we both sort of value each other's, um, opinions and like we both, we, you know, we've, we've had like 10 years or so now of doing this thing in different bands to like, you sort of refine your taste, you know? So it's like, I'd like to think now, between the two of us, if something feels good to one of us, we can trust that it's it's probably fine. Um, it, it's something I think every artist wants to overcome, though, because um, the the hardest thing that a lot of a lot of people, a lot of fans and stuff, don't realize is um, the the music that you release is often completed like a sometimes like a year prior to it actually mm-hmm. you know being mm-hmm. being picked up by the audience. Um, and I think your your idea of the goal, well, the goalposts constantly move. Like I think, like um, when we come on to to chatting about um, about our next record, I think it'll make more. I have something okay. I could say about that that will make okay. more more sense. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you you talked about trust because when you guys produced your your first record, um, and I think we have we have quotations around the idea that that you guys produced it in the sense that you mm-hmm. you said that you guys basically watched YouTube videos of a bunch of teenagers giving tutorials on how to how to produce a record. So yeah, pretty to, much. To us, I mean, you want to talk about trust, right? You're really putting your trust. But what's interesting about that, though, is how many of us learn how to do things mm-hmm. the same way. You know what I mean? So kind of what are some of the best things that you can recall in terms of takeaways that you learned when it came to helping you record that album? I think uh, the biggest one for me as a singer um and and i i call myself a singer loosely because i'm i'm still i'm still sort of like warm into the idea of 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 being a singer but um (laughs) i um 
I was often under the impression that like someone somewhere had like a magic button to like make things that just didn't sound good sound better. And it was, we went through working with a few different people um, before deciding to do it ourselves because we, <laughs> the best way to ex explain is we, we had one or two songs that we were taking to different producers and um, they would just end up kind of, they'd capture our song, but they wouldn't really, nothing would change. It would just, it would sound a little bit, each, each person did their own kind of take on it, but ultimately you've kind of got to be happy with like the source, the, the most simple kind of source version of the, of the sound going in, if that makes sense. So like if, if I sing a line, it's got to sound pretty good before sending it to somebody else to work on yes. because there's, I mean, obviously there are, there are exceptions. I think like, I think in pop and stuff, they can, they can auto tune the shit out of something and, and add all the effects and stuff. But I think when it comes to rock, it's really about like the raw take needs to be, you need to be happy with that. You, you can't expect someone else to sort of press a magic button that just suddenly makes it amazing. Um, so, so I've at the moment, actually I'm working on like a lot of, um, acoustic music to try and sort of get myself up to where I want to be, if that makes sense. Like I've realized that, yeah, I was, I was spending way too long trying to look for someone else to fix it rather than kind of owning the fact I need to just get better. Well, that, that's, that's a good attitude to have, I think. Um, and and it, what you were describing there reminds me of uh, oddly enough, Nirvana and how, you know, they put their trust in, their first uh, producer and did never mind down here at sound mm -hmm. city in California. And it sounds absolutely fantastic, but they said to themselves, that's, that's not exactly who we are. Mm -hmm. So that's why they, they grabbed Steve Albini and went into a remote place in Minnesota and that record sounds the way it does in utero. So I, I, I think I feel like that's, that's where you're going with that. Um, you mentioned the long delay of when songs can be written, recorded, and heard. And there was a long delay between the debut songs being recorded um, and then being released about a year or so, right? So I'm sure you've answered this question before, but I, I need to know what 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 happened there. Why was there such a long delay between those two points? So um I think I think this is probably the case for a lot of bands at our level, but um essentially um that was when that was when the label first uh, first got involved with us um and for smaller bands um basically the 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 main sort of revenue stream for the label at slash for the band is is through physical uh, you know physical records especially vinyl still because mm. of the kind of resurgence of, of of sales in vinyl and um with i think it's like a mixture of like there's a few reasons but i think that the mix a mixture of like um covid and a few other like political things like there's there's this thing brexit in the uk mm -hmm. um yep. oh yeah you got you guys know great um the vinyl sh uh manufacturing times just went through the roof i think one one theory is that a lot of the major label artists like you know your your adele's and ed sheeran's and, and taylor swift as soon as as soon as the world kind of stopped and touring stopped for them their record labels just went crazy with pressing vinyl to kind of keep that money train kind of going through and then that had a knock-on effect to um to smaller like independent bands like ourselves um so so we put in the we finished the record in about august 2021 and then it took a whole calendar um, whole ca oh sorry 20 oh god 22. it was 22 wasn't it yeah 22 Holy uh finished in august, <laughs> that would have been a, a big way finished it in august 22 and then had to wait until this July for it to actually be with the label so they could send it out to people who'd pre-ordered it. Um, it's pretty insane to think that you've got to wait pretty much like a calendar year to get, to get vinyl made. I think it, things are starting to get better now. I think it's back down to maybe like four or five months, which is still a long time, but uh, right. you know, it's a little bit more, you can navigate that a little bit more easily with, with, four or five singles spread out over that period i think that's what you'll see a lot of bands do but yeah for us it was it was a whole year waiting and listening back to our recordings and picking them apart in our mind before Ooh, that's anyone be else gets yeah it is i think i i had to like stop myself for a while like if you like i i really struggle with the idea of like 
I think I struggle with the idea of growth a little bit. Like I like J- James B is a lot more logical than me. And he was like, well, dude, listen to like, listen to the first, uh, one, one of our favorite bands is Queens of the Stone Age. And he was like, dude, listen to the first Queens of the Stone Age album. That's like rough and ready. And like that, you know, that's, there's like a night and day difference between that record. Even though I love them both, there's a night and day difference between that record and their third record. Like um, he was trying to tell me like, stop listening to it it's done it, it was like a, a, well you you can't not listen to it because for well over a year you're playing a yeah. lot of those songs live yeah, yeah like, was there a point because you guys were touring a lot this summer a lot earlier in the spring and the winter did the songs ever feel old in a sense did... oh yeah they they they, they really do the, the funniest thing actually uh it happened really recently on on tour um so so we just we just finished a UK tour with our label mates in, in Tiger Cub. Mm-hmm. And uh we our set um our sets remained like pretty because because most of the stuff we've been doing is support slots where you get like half an hour. Mm-hmm. Our set's pretty much the same five or six songs, give or take like one or two. Sometimes we'll swap one or two. But um we played this uh this city on the UK tour, a place called Newcastle in the UK, um, a couple of weeks back on this tour. And after, after it was, it was the first time where like, it was like the perfect show. It was one of those shows where everyone just seemed to get it and it felt really good. And people were coming up to us after like, holy shit, like, who are you guys? Like, I, I like, when are you coming back here? And we were like, oh, we've, we've been to this city five times in the past two years <laughs> playing the exact same set. And it's only just kind of catching on. And I think there is an element like we, we were, we were thinking of really changing what it is that we do like we and then this I'll, I'll kind of elaborate on this when we come to talk about the new album but we wanted to go from like say if album one's if album one's like sort of here we wanted to go all the way over here with the next stuff just because we were we almost felt so sick and tired of what we've been doing but it's it's taken this long for people to finally sort of mm-hmm. come on board it's a, it's a strange one i think sometimes bands Bands sometimes are guilty of that. They'll they'll put out one record and then the next record will just be miles apart. And sometimes that's really cool, but a lot of the time that can be a kind of a bit of a band killer because like the fans The sophomore slump, you know. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. It's tricky that second album. For yeah. sure. For sure. James, curious, because you mentioned a lot of these songs uh, felt a little old, but uh sometimes the meanings of songs can change over time, right? For mm-hmm. for for a Pearl Jam fan, I think a great example of that would be the song Alive. Okay, yeah. So this is a song that initially, you know, was a uh, very personal story for Eddie, um, semi-biographical, if you will. It was a, it was a song about confusion and sadness, mm-hmm. but it's morphed into a song when played live. It very much is, it, it's a song that seems to celebrate life and all that life has to offer and just being grateful for for being alive. Um, and it's a wonderful communal song for everyone in the audience to share with the band. You guys have been playing these songs of yours now for a few years. Do you think any of the songs that you have have evolved in their meanings or not yet? That's interesting. I think I love it when someone, you know, we're, we're still a small band, so we, we don't get it a, t- a ton yet, but I love it when someone takes something different from a song, you know, like, um, like yeah we all know we all know alive is about you know is about uh eddie's uh biological father and, and stuff like that but i if we had a song that was like that sometimes someone could come up to me and i don't know the song could be about i'm trying to think of a good example here the song could be about something and then someone else could come up and say oh, i love that song like about this and it's it's totally not what you know what i wrote it about i love i love it when someone can find like a different meaning in in, in a song and i think i i I sometimes try and do that with lyrics. I think like I try and sort of when I'm reading back to see if I like a lyric or not, sometimes I'm like, could someone take a few different uh, meanings from this and apply it to different things? You know, I, I like it. It doesn't always have to be about a relationship. It could be about like a situational thing or, or um, something completely bonkers. Like, 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 yeah, I like the idea of, of, um, lyrics having been interpreted in different ways the the one thing i was going to say um that i've experienced a little bit more is um some of uh, being being totally honest some of the lyrics that we've written there's 
in our music, I'd say there's like 75% of it is like real, like deep from the heart stuff because I'm like, I'm I sort of, I'm sort of like a heart on my sleeve kind of person. I just, just like, I really enjoy uh, lyric writing and I, I enjoy like the catharsis that you get from then singing those lyrics. But then there's about, there's, the, there's the other 25, which is sometimes just words to fit the syllables uh, <laughs> in the song. And, but what's interesting is sometimes uh, you kind of unpack those things and they actually mean loads. And it's almost like some weird subconscious thing where there could be a lyric in a song and you're like, holy shit, that actually, that, that makes total sense. That that kind of is about this really specific thing that I went through six months ago and you, and you don't realize until you've played it a bunch of times. I think I think it's quite fun when, when uh, it's almost like sometimes the song... Yeah, the song's like a subconscious thing sometimes. The song can sometimes tell you how you felt without you realizing. Are those kind of like the happy accident, like almost favorite songs in a sense? Because like, yeah, I didn't even mean for def- this to feel this way, but I do. Definitely. It's almost like, I think that's the only time, that's the only time where I like impress myself and it's purely accidental. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. I want, we, we talked about touring a little bit here, so I have to ask this question. Uh, the late great Taylor Hawkins once said that he loved playing stadiums and clubs, but hated arenas. You guys have played a lot of clubs as a smaller band, but you've also opened up for Guns N' Roses and Pearl Jam at Hyde Park. You've played South mm-hmm. by Southwest earlier this year in Austin, Texas. I want to know what you enjoy about both types of venues and what are some of the challenges um, you, you face, especially as a band trying to make its mark. Okay, cool, cool. That's, that's a cool question. Um, I guess, I guess, I'm. I always love an intimate club show um, because that's like my favorite thing. Um, the the thing that stops me from getting jaded with music because I think the more you the more you do anything you do eventually become jaded to it because it it's almost like, um, I remember, I remember I love films growing up and then I took a film class and I started sort of picking apart things more. And it kind of, it's, it's cool to like study something, but it, it sort of also ruins, ruins it a little bit, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so same with music, like music used to be like, and I mean, it still is, but music and seeing bands and stuff used to be like, holy, like, like I said earlier, like seeing just a group of people play some cover songs that used to be like magic to me. Whereas now I've been doing it for like myself for like 10 years. So you do get a little bit jaded, but, um, the thing that helps whenever I'm feeling that way is I always say, but I refer back to my 15 year old self in some of those clubs where you're within touching distance of the people on stage. And I used to go to like a lot of like hardcore and punk shows when I was younger. And I remember just like really, a really fond memory I have. I went to go and see like a, like a hardcore band. One of my first ever kind of shows. It was one of my first ever shows where there wasn't a barrier. You know, it was one of my first Mm. ever small, small, maybe like 400 cap people in a tiny, in a tiny room. And uh, I remember the singer just thrust in the mic, you know, for me to sing along. And I was like, holy shit, like, like, grab, 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 got the mic grab. And I, I, like, it was that moment where I was like, totally like hooked to like the punk rock and kind of hardcore side of things. And, and whenever I'm feeling jaded, I like, I like to think back to like, there might be that 15 year old kid in, in the crowd. And this might be like a really important because, because some, you know, you know how it is. Some, some nights you're in like a, you're in one of the i don't even want to say less important cities because that sounds that's a that's a bad thing to say but like you're in it's halfway through the tour you're tired maybe you and the band aren't getting along very well that day um and it's just like another show like let's just get it done and then you spot like one of those kids in the crowd and then it's like oh this is this is the best thing in the world like this is like this is super special so so that's that's my favorite thing about um a smaller show like the, the tangible kind of relationship between uh the the band and the crowd and the fact that yeah those those formative experiences can can happen um my least favorite thing about playing small venues is just when like technical difficulties happen um and like sometimes you feel like you've just been done dirty like you've you've sat in a van all day 
you've you've loaded on you've you've warmed up you get ready to play and then just something just kind of like fucks you over like something doesn't work or like the power cuts out but yeah i think you've just got to like you kind of just got to shake it off and laugh and like and make a joke out of it with the crowd like you can't you can't beat yourself up about like technical difficulties um then uh the best thing about playing big shows i think is like the opposite of that a lot of the time when you play a big shows everyone who's like working it like the stage people and the and the the front of house and stuff um they're just like top tier people and they just everything just runs how it should and those are the moments where it really feels like you can you can just play like really well like and and it it's a different kind of it's a different feeling to play in the proper like gnarly like punks punky kind of places it's it's more of like a pristine thing but it's enjoyable in in the sense that like you really get to hear the songs in the best possible way and like everyone's got room to move around and i was going to say like if you have like these top tier people work in front of house and working this the the um monitors like that that can probably go out of your mind and let you focus on the performance right yeah true actually yeah yeah and it's really nice to like some like kind of indulge in 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 the songs like sometimes you know when you play when you play some of those big venues and the sound is just wicked on stage it makes you fall in love with the songs again because there was mm. obviously like it's there was obviously like a time where you wrote the song where you were really stoked on a on a part whether it's how a how a big chorus comes in or how a riff kicks in or something um and here in them like as they should be like with with really good sound system and, and and in front of loads of people definitely yeah definitely makes you um definitely makes you appreciate it more and then the worst thing the worst thing about playing uh big shows sometimes is just there is an element of like especially at those like like guns and roses is a really good example um there there's a lot of people there but they're not there to see you really like and <laughs> mm-hmm. you have to you have to go on and try and win them over and i really enjoy it like i was gonna I'm say is that in- fun though <laughs> it's fun it's fun yeah i think um as long as you don't get any head about it you've got to kind of you've got to kind of like it's realize that- money yeah yeah right? yeah yeah ex- exactly exactly um but i love i love like trying to sort of sometimes i quite like feeling like the underdog and having like a bit being a bit cheeky and like kind of I'm I don't care about winning everyone over. It's almost like sometimes my favorite thing is like seeing five people in the crowd who fucking hate us but there there's one guy next to them who's just like yeah like like losing his mind. <laughs> um it's it's a funny old thing though. It sometimes feels like yeah uh, especially because there's like a huge uh in those big gigs there's a big separation you know there's the barrier and the photo pit and and all of this. Um sometimes people you know are a good like 20 meters away from you. The only thing about that sometimes if you get in your head about it, it kind of feels like you're you're almost like a zoo animal or something. There's like a weird <laughs> separation that I don't like. Well, speaking of separation, you guys did a short run with Tiger Cub. We did. Uh, what what would you say is the difference between British crowds and American crowds when you guys tour? Ooh, that's um I think the thing we noticed the most is um I think the thing we noticed the, noticed the most is american people in general seemed to be a lot more like openly supportive but it's almost like in a they people will come up to you and really confidently be like hey that was fucking great guys like i want to like talking your ear off which is a really accent just there uh well i don't know i don't know <laughs> how was it not bad it's getting let me try and do like hey guys you were fucking like you guys were awesome you guys were fucking awesome yeah 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 <laughs> but um that's actually really nice because like um i from my experience like you'd be surprised how many musicians have pretty low self-esteem even though it seems really counterintuitive to want to stand in front of a room full of people you know playing fucking guitar riffs and and trying to you know trying to be all kind of cool (laughs) um when you have really low self-esteem but um so actually hearing actually having people come up to you and say they like what you're doing um is a really great feeling especially when it's so far from home um i mean like our trip to seattle and our trip to la was like huge for us because like the uk crowds are quite reserved i think like 
in in the UK, sometimes someone stood at the back with their arms crossed, just kind of nodding along. They, that does mean they really like you, but it would be nice if they were if they did come and find you and tell you as well. It's um, <laughs> yeah, Amer- Americans just seem very uh, I don't know, like more open, more open to like emotion and more like celebrate celebratory and like um, yeah, I, I don't know, more. More exaggerated, I guess, in, in in a way. We we are very gregarious in that way, aren't we? Yeah, there we go. That was the that, that was the word I was thinking. <laughs> so we mentioned uh, label mates, Tiger Cub. Um, yes, you guys both were signed to Loose Groove Records, famous in this podcast circles as Stone Gossard and Regan Hagar's Absolutely. label. Um, I've got to know the story about how this came to be and spare. No details. Okay, cool, cool. Well, um, as we kind of touched on before, I was in a, a different band playing bass guitar in 2019, and, and and I was in that band for about five or six years. Um, I just finished recording a second record with that old band, and then the uh, pandemic hit. And um, during that time, me and uh, me and James B started jamming and writing writing some of these songs that obviously eventually turned into cold gun songs um the the pandemic happening made me realize that i wasn't enjoying my old band as much and that i was enjoying these these rock and roll jams you know turning turning up the amps in the garage with james b i was enjoying that a lot and i think that i'd finally got to a level where my old band had given me the confidence to actually maybe try it try myself as, as, as a singing guitarist, which was something I would have never, never have dreamed of doing before. So, um, yeah, me and James B released a few songs ourselves, just kind of DIY, like, like bedroom recordings that we did with our friends. Um, and then we did one EP. Um, so the EP that's actually out on loose groove, we did before loose groove was a, was a thing, uh, to us. So, so we did the EP, uh, the false start EP it's on, it's on Spotify and everywhere. Um, we did those songs and we released them, uh, through like a, a small punk label in the UK that I'm, that I'm friends with. And, um, one of those songs, uh, there's a song on that, on that EP called long way home. And, uh, I had started, right. This is, this is the point where the, where I got a, try and get the chronology right <laughs> um so we released yeah we released that ep um or re- we released a few songs off that ep i should say and uh in the meantime uh it was still kind of the middle of lockdown so this would have been like the tail end of 2020 maybe early 2021 probably probably it was late no it was late 2020 that's it um i'd started running as a sort of weird hobby i'd never i'd never tried uh running before i i well i had i i'd done that thing where like you run to the end of this you run to the end of the street you get a stitch you walk home you're like okay i'm i'm not gonna do that again <laughs> um but i i'd finally uh started running um as a sort of way to kind of um help with mental health like between between quitting my old band and then being in a pandemic i was in a pretty a pretty low kind of uh just it was a pretty low time for you me. And, uh, um, yeah, everyone found yeah, yeah. to kind of mentally get through that. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I, I joined this. Uh, I joined this like local running uh, running club called Running Punks, and it's basically like a load of people who are who are in the music scene in in Cardiff. Uh, people who've been in in a bunch of bands and people who've worked with bands in, in Cardiff in South Wales. And uh, one of the guys who was part of the running club, uh, he worked for a uh, like a homeless uh, a homelessness prevention kind of charity and he was putting together uh, a little compilation for that and he asked he was like oh you're in a band can i can i grab one of your songs i was like oh yeah hell yeah man i'll send you send you the file i kind of kind of thought nothing of it it was one of these like just like a band camp fundraiser thing Mm -hmm. and uh strangely as a as a result of that fundraiser um that compilation became kind of popular and uh, uh dj kevin cole who's the a dj at uh at Seattle's KEXP, he picked up the compilation and actually started playing our song "Long Way Home." Wow! It's one of the sort of lead songs from the compilation, um, which was really cool. That that already, I, I was like happy with that. I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god, KEXP! I love you know, I, I love KEXP. I've 
there's loads of the live sessions that I, I've watched mm-hmm. over the years. Um, so that was cool. That was our first ever bit of US radio play as well. So that I was already I was already on Cloud Nine when that happened. Then um, a few weeks later, I was messing around with the guitar in my flat. Uh, I was taking it from upstairs in my flat to downstairs in my flat whilst kind of noodling around on it, um, stuck inside inside still. And I fell down the um I fell down the stairs in my flat and I broke my leg in three places. Oh, um, oh my my, God. It was one of them like foot facing the wrong way, kind no. of Ouch. pretty not it was pretty gnarly. Yeah. Uh so I I got rushed to hospital and I had to have like a surgery on my on my um on my leg and um still my ankle. holding the guitar. Still holding the guitar, still ripping. Um, and uh, I was I was stuck in hospital for a couple of days, and then I had to go and move home back to my mum's house because I couldn't like really do much. Um, so then it's coming to the tail end of 2020. The world is fucked. I've <laughs> I've let I've I've got a broken leg, and running was the one thing that was kind of keeping me <sighs> sane. Yeah, and I, and I and again I I I quit my old band, and I was just like. Like oh, like what? It like what's happening here? It was there was an element where it was kind of just funny how much was going wrong, but like also just an an element of like oh, like this 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 isn't where I was hoping to be. Um, and um, then I'm I remember one night I'm just feeling sorry for myself, um, trying to write songs at my mum's house on an acoustic guitar, but it just wasn't it wasn't the same as being in the room with James B, like cranking cranking amps and stuff, um feeling just a little bit sorry for myself and then i look at my phone and i've got this message uh on the band's on the band's account from uh from a stone gossard uh as you do well from from like some sort of like burner account well not burner account but it was like wait on instagram yeah it was like it wasn't like a a real you know it wasn't like an official because he, he doesn't have like an instagram he doesn't have account. instagram so no. we think it, it was either it was either like just some sort of like rough account or it was regan i can't remember but basically unless you know what it might have been i think it was loose groove it was a loose groove account but before they'd posted anything oh there you go okay so just that's what it was that's what it was it was loose groove but they hadn't they hadn't launched yet they hadn't they didn't have tiger cub yet or they they did but they hadn't announced it they didn't have britney so it's just this this page and and me me being a um kind of young i I'd, i'd never really heard a loose groove groove either um so um so i just got this message and it's like it's from loose groove it's like hey it's stone gossard from pearl jam here i've just heard you on kxp uh drive time uh, i really like your band and i want to sign you and i was, I was like it's yeah, simple as that so, yeah i was like sure it is sure it is man like i sort of because the thing is move to junk in my in, <laughs> it was well it was it was kind of one of those ones i, I looked at it and i was just i was i wasn't feeling too great at the time anyway so i was just like oh yeah okay whatever like it's like one of those emails I, I don't know if you get these but I, I had an email the other day from like an african king offering me like 31 million all the time dollars into my into my account <laughs> it, it was very much like uh, one of those yeah one of those uh emails so um i don't think i replied for like a day or two i think i was just like ah whatever like this isn't a thing and then i um i mentioned it to james b i was like oh and he was like oh you should you should probably reply just in case i was like okay hey yeah like uh here's my email like thanks like let me know let me know then a day goes by and nothing and i'm like okay this yeah. is this is just some sort of weird like scam scam yeah then i get an email and it's it's stone and billy and regan from loose groove and like all these kind of legit emails from the orchard which is like the company that kind of runs yeah uh, the, the uh, for it, right yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly, and and they're part of Sony. So you get all these people with proper emails, like, "Hey, yeah, so we're really interested in the band. Like, when do you want to zoom?" And I'm like, "Holy shit, what do you mean? Like, this is actually like they're like, yeah, yeah." I'm like, "Whoa, like, like." So I ring, I ring James B, and uh, I'm like, "Dude, I think this is actually Stone from Pearl Jam, and and he actually does want to want to sign us to Loose Groove." And then and then that's when we did like a deep dive on realizing this that that Loose Groove was a thing right. like in the 90s well, it's funny you meant the you mentioned the first queens of the stone age record exactly exactly that was a, it that was was huge for yeah crazy crazy and uh and you know all, all the all the other stuff that they've done so um i think we were on we were on tour then about a week after that i was um playing a bunch of shows on crutches it was it was pretty it was a pretty fun uh very fun metal of you very punk yeah yeah right it was i i didn't uh 
I couldn't afford to get like a throne like Dave Grohl, <laughs> just a uh, just just a stool and some crutches. And uh, we did our first Zoom call with Stone, and and it was amazing. It was like, first of all, we were just we were just kind of nervous and freaking out. So we you know we had no idea what he was going to be like. We we're both Pearl Jam fans, but neither of us had ever met anyone anyone from from the PJ camp. And uh, he he get he got on the Zoom call, and he was just gushing about the band, like he was saying like specific things he really liked about the tracks and like Ooh, that's cool it was so cool like the thing is uh because because my old band my old band had had some sort of some success like we were we were signed to a, uh, an american label as well and we'd met a lot of like we'd met a lot of like a and r people over the years where they were like yeah we love your band man and like they don't even really know, like they couldn't name like if you if you on the you wouldn't do this but if, on the spot if you were like all right name a track they just they just wouldn't know and um so in my mind i was like stone probably maybe he likes us but like surely he's not really listened like surely there's no way and he was like yeah so like i love the i love the, this b-side that you've done and i love this the way the riff kicks in at 35 seconds in the song and i'm like holy shit this guy's like listened to it back to front like mm-hmm. this, stone this did is- his homework yeah he's like a he is a music fan like like le, le, legit and um the second we realized that it was like a match made in heaven yeah he he fully understood what we were trying to do fully just wanted to support in any way they can and uh it really felt like a miracle because i was in such a such a rough spot personally at that time let's let's move to the new record with so much time between you know what i mean that mm-hmm. record and this one I, I, explain a little bit like the, like the, the, this next record comes out, but you record it actually at stone studio litho in Seattle. Right. Yeah, that's okay. right. That's it. So you, you told Jason and correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but I, I believe that James told you at loose groove records, that the party in Beverly Hills, a couple of uh, months ago, that it was, it was all going to happen in just like five days. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that, that recording experience? Like how yeah, we produced you and all that. So, um, essentially, um, we're, we're really grateful to, uh, first of all, we're really grateful to Tiger Cub, uh, essentially Tiger Cub, uh, were doing some headliners over, over in the States. Um, they did like a, f- a full on, like five weeker, uh, you know, right from, yeah. from East to West sort of thing. And, uh, when I saw that got announced, um, cause we're, we're friendly with those guys. Like we really like, um, they're they're really nice guys and 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 they're in a really similar kind of you know they they know they know how tough it is to be a rock band in 2023 like they're just like us and um i saw that get announced so i hit up um i hit up jamie from the band i was like yo if there's if there's any chance we could like jump on a few shows like we'd love to try and get over um and i i started a bit of conversation going with uh with jamie from tiger cub and and then everyone from loose groove and uh kind of was like wouldn't it be great if like we could get like a loose groove show and so so mm. um that that like show in beverly hills was kind of like my idea really i mean they, they'd already done one in brooklyn. brooklyn i think in in saint vitus um but the idea of doing one in la with us and tiger cub and Brittany and everybody else um you know johnny and, and zosia um stone was like all for it he was like oh that's a great idea like let's let's make it happen so tiger cub let us they managed to get their management to like let us jump on like five or six of their their shows and then one and then stone added the extra show which was the the beverly hill show where we met and uh the then then i decided to push my luck even more after kind of convincing them to to do all that i was like well we're in seattle as well we could we could just like make some songs at your studio. And he, he was like, it was so funny. Cause like, I, I liked like sometimes just try my luck with these things, but like stone instant instantly was like, that's a great idea. Like we'd love that. Like we love the idea of like trying to like capture you guys, like raw, like rough and ready kind of, you know, like, like litho is like a really, really sweet spot in terms of like a band can go in there and just play like they're playing live and come out with something really cool. Like, um, and I think obviously like Pearl Jam are the ultimate, uh, probably the ultimate example of like a band that does things in that old fashioned kind of way, like just play something 10 times. And then one of those, 
you know, one of those takes might actually just be the the take that makes the record, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Right. Um so so Stone and Regan were were super keen for that. So we went to we went to Litho after um after the end of the tour. And uh yeah, we did we did eight songs in five days. Wow. Um, with uh with Matt and the, the producer we used is a guy called Matt Bayless. Um yep. he's one of the in-house guys at Litho. Um he's he's fucking awesome. He used to be in a band called Minus the Bear back in the day. I love that band. <laughs> they were a lot of yeah. fun. They're wicked, man, and and he's done some of our favorite records. Like he did, he did a couple of Mastodon records that we love, mm-hmm. and um, he's done a lot of bits and bobs for um, for Stone over the years. I think one one thing that's really cool that he, that he does a lot of people don't know is, I think he actually technically recorded "Do the Evolution." Because do the evolution was just a jam that kind of happened one evening, and he mm-hmm. would. I think it was after I forget which producer was it. Um, was it Brendan O'Brien who did uh, Yield? Yield, yeah. Um, so I, that was something that that just happens after Brendan and probably left for the day. And Matt was, I think, Matt was his assistant at the time, and uh, Matt was just there to kind of like hit record and capture that. But he's done he's done loads of little cool bits for for Stone over the years. I think uh, Matt calls Stone the the older brother he never wanted, but is glad glad to have. So you had you had a bunch of songs. I mean, again, we go we go back to the fact that you guys had recorded all those songs for the debut in 2022. So I'd imagine in this time since you've probably been kind of tinkering and writing along the way. So did you have stuff kind of already fully formed when you went to Litho? Yeah, I'd say a good portion of it. There were like there were like a few a few sections that just needed ironing out and like um lyrics that were kind of just not quite right. But um yeah, we 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 really the pressure was kind of nice. I think, especially like, like we were, we were talking about earlier, like, especially with me, not never knowing when something's finished, actually having the clock be the thing that decides when you're finished or not was kind of mm. cool. Um, there is, there is an interesting twist though, where, um, so we might actually be going back to Litho now some point, uh, next year, because I don't know how much of this I should, should say, but, um, we stone thinks that we may have gone with the new stuff he he really likes it and we really like it too but he thinks that the direction the second record has kind of naturally taken we've maybe gone like to seattle and we've lost a bit of what what i think it was always going to happen mean? I mean, uh like borderline post grunge which is something we don't want to do you, you asked <laughs> you know, Mike McCready to record a solo. I understand. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't ask Mike McCready yet. We There's did. Still ask time, some, James. Hey, we 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 are in talks with somebody else, which will be huge Ooh. if 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 true. Kim Thiel. No, I'm not saying. Don't, don't let the cat okay, out. Of okay, that. don't <laughs> let the cat I'm out. Teasing, of that. I'm, I'm not saying anything, but uh, I, I'm sure Stone will, Stone might might make an appearance here or there. Ooh. Uh, maybe some, maybe some other loose groove artists. We, we were again. I was just being cheeky, mailing everybody to come and play on the thing. Um, but um, yeah, Stone actually thinks we. Stone actually wants to let us come back um, some point next year because I think we love the songs that we we did in in those in those uh, five days. But there is an element of like there are a lot of um, more ballady kind of. I don't even want to say ballady, but like there, it's a lot more slow burn than maybe you'd expect if you listen to the first album and then listen to this. And I think he's right. Like, well, you played one of those new songs at, at the glue screw party. Ex- exactly. It's vastly different. Yeah. 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 Exa- exactly. And like, we love that. Like, and it's a side that it's, it's definitely is like organic. Like it, it was just a song that happened, but I, I really do think like knowing that we were going to be recording in Seattle, everyone in the band, was doing so much Seattle worship, like the months leading up to it. Partly because, you know, like I was going back and listening to, well, just, just all, like listening to tons of Soundgarden because like I wanted to yeah. feel extra special when you're in, in the room where some of it got recorded, you know? And like, I think some of that rubbed off on us in a good way. And some of that rubbed off on us in like a bad way in the sense that maybe like we lost a little bit of like our own kind of vibe that that was the the original thing the stone liked about us um so i think we're, we're gonna go back in uh we're back home writing now as we've always done and uh we're working on like maybe a few more like rippers to just add to the 
you know, short, sharp kind of mean songs to, to, to nicely kind of uh, offer the, the, the other side of the band to all the kind cool. of ballads that we did. There you go. So that basically what you're saying is 2024, you are going to finalize the sophomore record. And yeah. I imagine there was more live dates. Are, are those being sorted? Are you planning out the, the year? We're working on it. Yeah. Um, we've just got, uh, we just got a new agent in the UK, uh, a lady called Lucia, who's awesome. Um, and she's like, she's really like, she, I mean, she was who, she was who got us on the, on the Guns N' Roses show at Hyde Park. And, mm. um, oh, great. we're, we're still looking for, um, we're still looking for an agent in America so we can try and come back to America as soon as possible. Um, cause I don't know if you guys know, but for for bands from like the uk and europe and stuff to come to america we have to pay for like a v like a work visa yeah yeah and for a band it's like six thousand pounds for for the just for like one one year of touring so you really it's why it's why you see bands like tiger cub they've come back to the us now like three or four times in in one year to just try and maximize the visa make it worth worthwhile yeah 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 so it it's definitely something we'd like to do yeah we're, we're looking right now um the other thing is that the other thing about that studio experience in uh in Seattle um again it's really good we're really we're really happy and and Matt Matt was a punisher like Matt Matt's a great guy but um he he was brutal and and when I I rang Stone a few days after and he was like he was like how was the session I was like oh, I fucking hate Matt like da, 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 da. like he's so mean da, da, da. Uh, and he's like yep exactly and, and you could tell that I think like um I think Stone knew that would be the case and like almost found it funny because I think he wanted us to have that kind of brutal experience because I'm sure that's what it's like with a lot of like legendary producers, you know, I'm like just play it again, play it again, play it again, like sweating over like proper small details in the songs. Yeah. Um, but it's great. It, it was, it was great. I think like there's that saying like pressure creates diamonds. And I think like, um, I think it, it definitely felt feels good now. The, the one annoying thing about the Seattle um, studio session was we, as soon as we finished that session, we, uh, we went into the 17 date uh, UK tour with Tiger Cub. Right. And um, it was on that tour where we felt like we really hit our stride as like a band. And I'm really, it's annoying because like it's playing loads of shows that makes it really easy to write songs and like record songs because like you, you kind of feel like you understand what it is that you're going for. So I kind of wish that we actually had the Seattle set. Obviously it didn't work because we were already in Seattle. It would have made no sense to go to the UK and then come back to Seattle. But um, it felt like we'd finished recording and then we did 17 days of like finding our stride as a band. And then we're like, oh, well, we've already recorded now. It's not like we can capitalize. So I think that's the idea with March is like um, another session. Now we we're even more into just into our stride. It's, it's, it's a, it's a funny one to try and explain. Well, we look forward James to uh, seeing you continue on that stride as we head into <laughs> Thanks, 2024. Uh, cannot thank you enough for your time, my friend. It's been an absolute treat to uh, uh, just kind of take a deep dive into James and the cold gun and, and get some perspective and, and hear your story and uh, very excited to see what, what music you guys keep pumping out. Oh, thanks man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on guys. All right, James Joseph from James and the Cold Gun. That was awesome. Uh, I like hearing from somebody who is in the middle of the grind. You know, I know it's 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 a bit of a departure from a lot of the folks that uh, we've been chatting with, just because they're they're so ingrained in it, you know, and, and very seasoned. Um, but for for James and and the Cold Gun, you know, it's it's really cool to see a band really emerging like this, and it's even better to see how. Uh, stone has really kind of become a shepherd in the industry for that. You know what I mean? It's great to see these guys are just not so wrapped up in their own zone that they forget and lose touch with the fact that there's still great music out there and being willing to offer shoulders for, for these bands to start standing on in order to get themselves to a better place. And, and it really more than anything else, I think it's as simple as stone heard it. It was awesome. He's like, other people need to hear this too. And I think that's what it's all about absolutely couldn't agree more well uh that's the show guys uh we hope you enjoyed it we've got a couple more to go uh through the end of the year but we're already starting to book people for next year i know 
It's all coming together, man. It's all coming together. Big year in store for the state of love and trust. But for now, keep feeding that algorithm by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your preferred podcast platform of choice. That is 100% correct. And uh, a few more uh, patrons over the weekend. We appreciate you guys uh, jumping on board, helping us out. Uh, If you guys are interested, the uh, Patreon link is in the bio of literally everything and um, in the description of this podcast as well. So that's it. Uh, We'll see you next week with another uh, fabulous episode. And uh, until we see you then, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust.